0: If you are new here, we are currently going through the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And the first three chapters, he explains the life that we have in Jesus Christ, that because of our sin, we are dead in our sin. But God, through his mercy and grace, makes us alive alive in Jesus Christ. The last half of the book, he talks about what it means to live life in Christ. How do we live in response to what God has done for us. How does life look differently? We have uh, we've been walking through Ephesians 4 the past few weeks. And what we've seen is that this new life that we have in Christ has a dramatic effect on the church. Has a dramatic effect on the community here and your family at home. We learn that we're supposed to maintain the unity that God has given to us through the Holy Spirit. That we are to respond to one another with gospel love with gentleness and patience and love last week we studied how we are supposed to take off the old self we are supposed to take off the sinful heart the depraved mind and we're supposed to put on the new self we're supposed to put on christ we're supposed to put on god's righteousness and god's holiness and as god commands us to put off our sin and put on christ's righteousness we can do it Because Christ did the exact opposite at the cross. At the cross, Jesus put off his righteousness and took on our sin and paid the penalty so that we could live righteously for God. And so Paul is continuing this theme of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Today, that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. In the Red Bible, it's page 978 we're going to actually probably spend maybe uh, 3 weeks looking at this two or 3 weeks but we'll start by looking at how the gospel transforms our language and our words Ephesians 4 verse 25 Ephesians 4:25 Therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another be angry and do not sin And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we look into Your Word today, as Your Holy Spirit works on our hearts, God, we pray that our tongues would glorify You this week, that our language, that our words would be honoring, that they would give life and not death to people, Lord. God, this is a struggle for all of us, certainly, to say things that we should not say and to not say things that we should say. And so we pray that this week, that today, You would transform us. And help us to know how we might speak in a way that glorifies you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I have a quiz for you today. I have 10 quotes, and I want you to see how many of these quotes you know the author to, okay? So you can keep track and you can compare notes when you are on your ride home and see who wins. The first is this one You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Jason Steger? Maybe. Answer is Elvis. That's right. This one's a little bit harder. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens. Very good. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. John F. Kennedy. Absolutely. Life is like a box of chocolates. No. No. Forrest Gump's mother. If you said Forrest Gump, you get half a point. Okay, you get half a point. I think, therefore, I am. Rene Descartes. Did I say that correctly? Rene Descartes. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Reagan. We didn't lose the game, we just ran out of time. Vince Lombardi absolutely we have the right among these are the life liberty and pursuit of happiness the declaration of independence right two more one small step for man one giant leap for mankind Neil Armstrong final one I have a dream Martin Luther King that's right Why do we know these quotes? Why are they burned into our mind? Is it because we've heard them so often? That might be part of it. But it's also because words are extremely, extremely powerful. Matter of fact, in the book of James, uh, James talks about how powerful words are. You know, words are so powerful that people have careers based on words. There are journalists, there are songwriters, there are poets that are built on forming powerful words for people. And James talks about this in James 3, 4, about how the tongue is so small, and yet it has so much power, and it has so much influence. He, he, he relates it to a rudder on a ship. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue has amazing influence. The tongue has caused revolutions. It has caused people to fall in love. It has caused depression. It has caused agony. The tongue has amazing power. How's the saying go? The, The pen is stronger than the sword, right? What we say is so Extremely important because it is so extremely powerful. Today, Paul is going to look at three things that the gospel, that the good news of Christ changes. We're just going to focus on one of them and we'll cover the rest next week. But we're going to look at how the gospel, how Christ's righteousness applied to us, changes the way that we speak about one another, to one another. And so that's what we're going to look at here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so first we're going to look at Paul's command and God's command to put off lying and to put on truth. Look in verse 25 with me, if you would, in Ephesians 4. He says, Therefore, having put off, put away falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We're called to put off lying, to put off Falsehood, to put off deception with one another. Now, one of the questions that naturally comes out of this is is it, is, is it ever okay to lie? Is it ever okay to deceive? Is it ever okay not to tell the truth? What do you think the answer is? <laughs> well, well, we see here uh, that God shows there are times when lying is appropriate. Uh, before you leave the church, let me explain to you a little bit. In, in Exodus, uh, the pharaoh tells the midwives, when a child is born, if it's a Hebrew boy, kill him. And so the midwives don't do that. They, they save the children. And then the pharaoh comes to the midwives and says, why did you not kill the firstborn males or the males that were born? And they said, you know, these Hebrew women, they're crazy. They give birth really fast. And we don't get there in time. And so they, they give birth and they give the child, put him somewhere safe before we ever get there. And because of this, in Exodus 120, if you want to look it up, it says that God dealt with the midwives, dealt well with the midwives, and God gave them families. You may remember Rahab, who protected the spies from the people of God. And when men came to the door and asked if the spies were there, she said, no, they have already left. And because of that, God credited that to her as righteousness. Because of her faith, he had blessed her. You know, even you look at in Nazi Germany, when, when the Nazis would come door to door to door, people would lie to the Nazis and say, no, there are no Jews here. Move on to the next house. And so there are times in life when lying is appropriate to restrain the wickedness of man. But for us, that's usually not the situation, is it? <laughs> usually we don't lie to restrain wickedness. We lie to promote wickedness in our own life we we lie for many different reasons one reason why we lie as i was thinking about this is sometimes we lie for financial gain right like we look at our dog and we're like hey our dog could be a dependent on our taxes right like that would save me a lot of money or or you know when you when you buy and sell a car you have to fill out the price of the car, and then you have to pay taxes on that. And so every time I have this little interaction with someone, they're like, what price do you want me to put in here? And it's like, how about the price I paid for it? Okay, sounds good, you know. But there's constant opportunities to lie for your own financial advantage. There's also opportunities that we lie to inflate our own image, right? I caught a fish how big? <laughs> caught a fish this big. Really, that's amazing, you know. We lie sometimes to avoid difficult situations. Uh, A funny story that I remember is growing up, my best friend Brent, it was him and his sister Christy, and Christy, the phone rang, Christy picks up the phone, and she's like, oh, hey Aunt Jenny, how are you, blah, 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 and we can hear Aunt Jenny on the other line say, hey, is your mom there? And her mom's going, no, I'm not here, you know. And so, no, my mom's not here right now. And then, about ten seconds later, Christy says, "Hey, mom, what pant size am I?" And so, Jenny knows the jig is up, and so her mom gets on and says, "Hey, I just walked in the door, right?" So, but we also lie. We also lie just to flee from sin because we are ashamed of what we have done. We don't want to change. We don't want to repent you know teenage kids often will say no mom i didn't go to that party or no i didn't do this or i didn't do that which they knew was against the commands and so lying is something that all of us struggle with with one extent to one extent or another and what paul says is that we are to put off lying but we're not only to put off lying we're also supposed to put on truthing all right we're supposed to put on truthing now now truthing i know is not a word but if lie has a verb, truth can have a verb too, okay? So we're supposed to put on truth, and we're supposed to put on being truth tellers. You know, in many times to tell the truth comes with very, very difficult consequences, doesn't it? Sometimes it comes with being grounded. Sometimes it comes with a loss of money. It can come with many different things just to tell the truth. Uh, Jason and I and a few guys were at a presbytery meeting. That's that's a gathering of all the churches in our denomination. And there was a man there who was talking about his prison ministry that he was doing. And he talked about how when he was in prison, he had a cellmate. And this cellmate had committed this horrific crime. He didn't share it with us. But he committed this horrific crime. And, and for two years, the police were looking for who had done this crime. During those two years, this man, the cellmate, came to faith in Christ. And part of his repentance was going to tell the truth. He went to tell the officials, the authorities, that he was the one that committed a crime. And because of his telling the truth, he received life in prison, which was 25 years. And so because this man was committed to tell the truth, he had spent 25 years of his life in prison. And so there is no fooling around. Telling the truth sometimes comes with very difficult circumstances But God tells us to be truthing because the alternative is far worse The alternative is lying and when we lie to one another to cover up Wickedness we bring division into the family And that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 25 He says having put away falsehood each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of of one another he's saying we are members as body parts are members of one body we are members of one body and the head is christ and so in the household in the church in this family as we lie to one another when we lie to one another we're disjoining ourselves from the family we're hurting the body we're hurting ourselves we're creating Friction, intention, and distance. I think we all know what it's like when you have a lie, when you have something that you know you should tell someone, but you don't want to, and it weighs heavy on you. And it creates this invisible barrier from communication, from love, from understanding between one another. And what Paul says here is, tell the truth. Tell the truth, because it is divisive when you don't. I remember after Brett Favre retired and moved on to uh, the Jets, uh, the season after, the commentators, just like every game, were talking about the Brett Favre uh, finagle, whatever happened, right? And, you know, the tension there was between Brett Favre and the Packers organization and the division that was created. And at one point in time, the commentator said this, and I thought it was fantastic. He said, there are three sides to every story. There's his side, there's their side, and there's the truth. We're called to be truth tellers. Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so for us to, to promote falsehood, for us to tell lies, is actually to act contrary to the body that we're connected with. It's to act contrary to the head, which is Christ, who is the truth. And so Paul calls us to be truth tellers. And so we're called to put off lying, but we're also called to put on truthing. Next, he says that we're supposed to put off rottenness and put on fruitfulness. Look in verse 29 with me, if you would. And we'll break it down and read through it some. But verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. This term corrupting is a term that's used to talk about bad fruit on a tree. Fruit that has spoiled, fruit that has rotten. And what Paul is saying is that just as you would not eat a piece of rotten fruit because it would make your sick stomach, we should not communicate rotten words, right? You've heard people say, well, that's a rotten thing to say. When we communicate rotten words, it makes our souls sick. It hurts us. It damages us. We're called to put off rotten talk. You have heard the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? And the, the funny thing is, usually when that's being said, it's when a child has been very, very hurt by words, right? And we say, words will not hurt you, only sticks and stones will hurt you. But that's obviously not true. Because all of us have felt the power of words, the damaging effects of words, the rottenness of words. In that passage in James 3, he goes on to talk more about this Um He again talks about how, uh, look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great strength. And then he goes on and he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, by just a match. A whole forest can be set on fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What a powerful statement, huh? What a dramatic statement. But all of us have felt the burn of rotten words. All of us have felt the Fire of rotten words in our lives. All of us can probably remember a time in our life when someone spoke something to us that was rotten, that was hurtful, that was painful, that in one way or another they said, You're not valuable. I don't love you. I don't care for you. You're not worthy. I don't want you. These are rotten words that are extremely powerful, but also extremely painful. I remember when I was in middle school, I, uh, I my parents for some reason didn't want to buy me $300 outfits for school, and so I would wear used outfits. and And it, looking back, it was brilliant, but as a teenager, I thought they were horrible. And so, but I would go and I'd go in these outfits that my older brothers wore. I was the youngest of five children, and because my clothes weren't like perfect and pristine, and like polos and khakis and all that, people started calling me hoopty because my clothes were hoopty, and uh, yeah, laugh it up. Come on. Um, but, you know, at, at the time, it was, it was painful. Um, you know, I laughed it off. I pretended like, and it was very small, to be honest with you. It wasn't like it controlled my life. But even that small word was so painful for me because words are so powerful. You know, I, I think there's something amazing happening in the public schools and maybe even in the private as well with the anti-bullying campaign. But the reason why it's come about is because people have recognized the power of words. They can just be absolutely devastating. And so Paul says that we have to put off that rotten talk. See, we're not only victims of those words. We're also criminals. We're also users. We've all said words that we wish we could take back. We've all said words harshly that have hurt other people. James goes on, and in verse 7 he says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. And so we can tame any animal. We can tame a horse, we can tame a dog, we can tame a lion. But there's one thing we cannot tame on our own. Verse 8 he says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of of deadly poison. You know, as I, I read this passage, I think of, of Wes and Kim Johnson, of Bruce Robertson, who serve in the counseling field. This verse probably hits very home as being very true of words that have been spoken over people's lives in their past, that have dominated their life, that have controlled their life, because the words are just so powerful. And either someone could say it to your face, as we've been talking about, or it could be behind your back. It could be gossip or slander in which someone is tearing you down when you're not around. Just this past week, I know a friend of mine made this decision that I thought was just absolutely foolish absolutely foolish i could not believe he was making that decision and i wanted so bad to go tell my wife can you believe they're thinking of doing this like can you believe that he wants to do this but i was reading this passage (laughs) preparing for the sermon but i'm so prone to do that i'm so prone to go and slander other people but god says do not do that put off that unfruitful rotten talk Because, and here's what he says, because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 30, and this is just mind-blowing. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How does our rotten talk grieve the Holy Spirit? What is the connection between that? Well, you see, God, with His Word, creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth just by speaking them into existence. But because of our words, because of our rotten words, we have brought death, we have brought destruction, we have brought sin into the world, and we have separated ourselves from God. And what was God's solution to this? It was to send the Word. It says that Jesus was the Word who became flesh for us, and He took our sin upon Himself and died on the cross for us. And He has redeemed us. And as He has redeemed us once and for all, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, is continuing to redeem us. You all are probably familiar with the verse 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture, which is the Word of God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. The Holy Spirit continues by its Word to transform us to change us, to redeem us into what we will be one day in heaven with God. And so we have to put off rotten talk that grieves the Holy Spirit, but that's not enough. You can't merely just not say bad things. He says, put on fruitful talk. Look at verse 29 with me again. He says, let no corruption, cor- corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good... For building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We have to put off rotten talk and put on fruitful talk. Fruitful talk that builds up. He kind of gives two indications of whether your talk is fruitful or not. The first thing he says is that it builds up as fits the occasion. The picture that he's drawing here is of the temple being created. When this term's used in the New Testament, it's often used of the temple and of buildings being built together. You know, I I used to build sunrooms for a while and it came in this box in this kit. And we would dig the holes and we would put concrete down and then we would put the, the wood in there, the four by fours, and then we would lay down the foundation, a thick floor. And around the floor we would put in this track and then we would take... The the walls, and we put them up, and then we would put the roof on, and then we would put the windows in. But one thing by one thing by one thing, one brick by one brick, one wall by one wall, we would build this. And Paul says, let your words build one another up. Let your words drive one another to Christ. This term also is translated edify, to build up, edification. It's the same word. Edification is defined this way. It's a definition that I like. It says to talk in a way that promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, happiness, and holiness. And so the question is, are our words doing that? Are our words building one another up into Christ? Or are they tearing one another down? Paul goes on to talk about when we edify people, when we build people up, it takes great wisdom and it takes great discernment and it takes great guidance by the Holy Spirit because it is dependent on the occasion. That's what he says, as fits the occasion. Build one another up. And so if your friend is discouraged... You can give them genuine encouragement. If they are brokenhearted because of the devastation of a fallen world, you can point them to the great comforter. If they are running away from God, you can call them to repent and come back to God. But all of it to encourage them, to edify, to build them up and draw them closer to God. And so fruitful talk builds up. Also fruitful talk Gives grace to those who hear. This is absolutely amazing to me. The words that we communicate. Over the dinner table. At the water cooler. The words that we communicate to our neighbor. Over the fence. Can be a means of God's grace to them. Words are so powerful and we can communicate the love of god to people both in how we say our words but also in communicating god's love towards them i remember playing basketball back in college and there was this one guy who was playing basketball with us and he was encouraging everyone he said great job way to go good shot hey good pass wait and it stuck out like a sore thumb but it was wonderful because his language was seasoned with grace and he was a christian And he knew the grace of God, and he spoke the grace of God. And so our words can be an instrument of God's grace. And so we can't just put off rotten talk. We have to put on fruitful talk. Yesterday I had the opportunity to go to the homeschool graduation at Spring Lake, and my favorite part of it is when the parents give the diploma to the children. Because the kids will come up on one side of the stage, and the parents will come up on the other, and for one minute... The mom and the dad tell the kid that they love them, that they're proud of them, that they have done a good job, that Christ is working in them, they commend them on their relationship with Christ. And for one minute, there is this beautiful, fruitful, glorious, grace-giving communication that doesn't just have to happen at graduation. It can happen every day of our life imparting the grace of God through the words that we speak. Let me end with one more quote. And I'm interested to see who knows who knows who this quote is by. With great power comes great responsibility. Anyone know? Spider-Man's Uncle Uncle Ben, that's right. Uncle Ben said with great power comes great responsibility and he said this because he saw that his son peter or his, his nephew was very smart but he had even greater power than that he was spider-man he could cast webs he could he had amazing strength there are other people in that movie who had great power also the villains but some chose to use their power for good such as peter but the villain used it for bad if you have a mouth If you have a tongue, if you blog, if you Facebook, if you write, you have tremendous power, amazing power with your words. And with that great power comes great responsibility. This is so convicting to me. Because with every word that you say, it is never, never neutral. It is either giving grace or it is grieving the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray that this week God would give us the grace that we might impart His grace to others. Let's pray. Gracious God, You have given us a great power, the power of communication. Words are so powerful, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone in here who is driven by harmful words that were said to them this week, this month, when they were a child... That they would forgive that person, God. That they would be released from the bondage of those words, Lord. God, we confess that we ourselves often say words that don't build up. We say words that grieve your Holy Spirit, that make you sad. And we pray for your forgiveness. And we pray that this week you would help us to speak words that build up. To speak words that give grace. That others might know the life-giving work of the Word, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As we gather around the Lord's table, we're reminded that the Word became flesh. That Jesus Christ became body.